0: Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support
1: these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. My name is Bo. I'm Peter.
0: And we are with Running Light Ministries. And our podcasts are always based around the Bible and the topics of sexuality. So we are not afraid to go into that area and talk about sex and pornography and things like that. Um, Today we probably won't touch so much on pornography I want to talk about one of our main passages that we deal with in premarital, chapter 19 of Matthew. It says uh, that Christ answered the religious leaders of his day and said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only to those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus and from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who was able to accept it, let him accept it. So that's going to be our main passage um, that we'll launch into many other areas of the scripture on. Um, you use this too in
1: premarital, don't you? All the time.
0: Yeah, this is our main one.
1: Yeah. Who better to ask about marriage than Jesus, right?
0: Yeah, what is the first thing that you notice about his response? Um, or do you want to paint more of the context so people understand the context maybe of it a little better?
1: Uh, well, I mean, there is a context to it for the purposes of what we're talking about. The context isn't super relevant. Yeah. I usually don't go into it with premarital. Right. Um, I mean, the context is simply that Jesus is ending Uh, his earthly ministry you know he's coming to the close he's coming to the point where he's going to go into jerusalem um for his final week and at this point the pharisees just hate him and so they're trying everything they can to if not completely discredit his ministry to at least divide his ministry Mm. and so they're coming here and they're asking him a question that they knew would have a divided answer and at that time there was basically um uh, sorry. That's okay. Peter uh, just got a call. Just got a call. but I From his mom. Actually was. <laughs> That's right. I love my mom, man. got the old mama. I got to hang up. <laughs> I got more important stuff. <laughs> but at Jesus' time when he was ministering, there's two major schools of thought on divorce. and It was either you could divorce for any reason, and they used a passage in Deuteronomy that says that you can hand your wife a certificate of divorce if you find uncleanness in her. And so the the debate was over, what does uncleanness mean? And one rabbi, I think it was Hillel, right? Uh,
0: it depends on,
1: <laughs> I mean, what Hillel had a very liberal view. He was the liberal guy, yeah. So Rabbi Hillel, he had the view that it's just like, hey, uncleanness could be anything. You know, if you don't like the way that your wife, you know, belches, you could divorce <laughs> her. If you don't like the fact that she doesn't make your bread right, you know, if you don't like what kind of a mom she is, you could just get rid of her. Um, but the other rabbi, and I'm spacing his name right now, Shammai, I think. Shammai, yeah. He he said that uncleanness referred to a sexual uncleanness, and he had a lot of evidence for that. But he said that the only time where you could give a certificate of divorce was for uh, any type of sexual immorality. And so when they're asking Jesus this question, they know that no matter which way he goes, he's dividing his audience. You know, and that's kind of the that's kind of the background. But like I said, it's not super relevant to what. What uh, thing that they're asking, but given the context, Jesus' answer is really, really uh, interesting. Because ultimately, if you're listening to what I just said, he does side with Rabbi Shammai. You know, he does say that if anyone gives a certificate of divorce except for sexual immorality, um, he's committing adultery. So he ultimately sides with him and his viewpoint, but he doesn't directly answer the question. And I think that the interesting thing about that is because whereas the Pharisees were trying to just get a simple yes or no from Jesus to divide the audience, Jesus sees this as an opportunity to teach about marriage as a whole. So he goes all the way back. He ignores the law, right? They want to talk about the law with him. They want to talk about Deuteronomy. Jesus goes to before the law and he talks about Genesis chapter 2, right? Where God first instituted marriage. Uh, when he created Eve and he brought them together. And that's the book that he's quoting from. Um, The reason why that's important is because Jesus is not going to the law because what he says to them when they bring up the law again, right? So he goes back to Genesis. They're like, no, we didn't want to talk about the law. Uh, His response is, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And the reason why Jesus says this is because he says, number one, Marriage is something that God instituted first. Something that God instituted before the fall of man, which means that it was part of God's original design. Mm. It was something special. It was something beautiful to capture a very particular quality or glory of God. Is there something you want to say? Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I say that's so important. (coughs) We believe that God created marriage. Mm. And that is a fundamental belief that we have from the words of Jesus that God created it. And there's, I think there's, there's a social ramification for that too, is that that's why we hold so strongly to maybe our positions on marriage yeah. and what is or isn't marriage. Mm. Um, because we believe it's something that's created by God, it's not dictated by man. Mm. I always wondered, you know, like, as a kid, I always, uh, not as a kid, but as a teenager, I always wondered, why would you get married anyway? Like, I didn't believe in God. Yeah. So, why why would you even get married? You know, have you ever, do you ever think about that?
1: Oh, I thought about that all the time as an atheist. I, uh, one of my favorite movies, which I can't recommend, I probably shouldn't even say the title of it. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably, it's bad. But, um, in one part of the movie, uh, The Devil, right? It's the devil speaking, and he says, Uh, one person's questioning him on love and he says, there is no such thing as love. Chemically, it is no different than imbibing much chocolate. And, uh, that was kind of stuck with me as an atheist where I truly believed that I thought there really wasn't anything as love, you know, it was just kind of like a, it was just kind of like a a chemical reaction that happened in your body as a result of our desire to mate and procreate. Yeah.
0: What always got me is too when I went, I, I, I started reading the Bible at the end of my senior year in high school really just poured into it in my college years. You know, I always think with my professors too, like, you know, why, you know, cause they were so secular, whether they were atheist or agnostic, I don't know, but uh, secular humanist, I always wondered like, why are they married? <laughs> like, why are they in this monogamous relationship? Like, why are they not good with, why would you not be good with, you're like, uh, why would the professor not be good with their their spouse having sex with another man hmm. or another woman? Yeah. Or why why would the wife be upset if the professor had sex with his students? Like, uh, or maybe that's not a good analogy because <laughs> maybe that maybe that's a breach of, of some kind of professionalism. But yeah. maybe <laughs> maybe a intimacy with someone else. Yeah. You know, but what would be? What's the what's the point? Like, mm. what what does it matter? Like you guys still can stay together, you guys could still live together, you could still have kids together, you know, but what is the what is the point? Mm. You know, like, you know, I never I could never quite understand that. Mm. You know, you know, if you know why are we stuck in monogamy if I'm not holding to these religious views? of it being created by God. If I don't believe in God, then isn't it just a construct of people? Hmm. Right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think that when um, when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, Mere Christianity, I think he kind of hit on that when he talked about Christian marriage. And he says in in that chapter, he says, before we could even begin to discuss um, why sexual purity must be maintained inside of a marriage, he says the first virtue that we have to actually look at is that of honesty. And he says, because marriage is first off a contract, and then it has to deal with sexual purity. And I, I think that what he's saying is really insightful. And in that what you're talking about, Bo, of like, what is the purpose of creating a contract that's based on honesty between two Homo sapiens that just want to procreate? Like, there's really not a whole lot of purpose behind that. Of, uh, to put it another way, if the whole purpose of marriage is simply to procreate and raise a family, what does a contract do to help that relationship? Um, or what does sexual abstinence do to help that relationship? Um, animals seem to do fine, just just fine without it, you know. But we as humans seem to to have this internal thing inside of ourselves that say that marriage must have integrity, and it must have it must have a reasonable amount of faithfulness uh, within it. And the question is why you know why do we feel the need that marriage should have integrity or any type of faithfulness you know sexual otherwise Um, and we as a Christian we would respond to that by saying well marriage was created by God and God is a being of integrity and faithfulness and so when he creates covenants when he creates um, you know just old-time word for contracts of of value and relationships you know when he creates these things he's creating them in order to preserve a part of his character within what these people have. And the most interesting thing about Adam and Eve, when God's creating their marriage, what we call their marriage, if you notice, they actually don't take vows uh, when they're getting married. They don't take vows. There is no covenant here. And a lot of people ask the question of like, well, why? You know, why would Jesus quote a passage that doesn't mention marriage to define marriage? And Jesus' reasoning is, is again, it's given there. It's because before the fall, there was no need for a covenant to maintain integrity because people were naturally
0: full of integrity. Full of
1: integrity. There was no fallenness in us. There was no deceptiveness uh, within humankind. So that wasn't necessary. Covenants only became necessary when integrity was lost. Right. You don't. If I could fully trust somebody, if there was no amount of dishonesty or distrust within another human being, there would be no need for me to ask them to make a covenant with me, mm. for them to sign a contract if I really trust them. I have people sign contracts because I can't trust them. That's the whole point. And as, as a secularist, the question that you got to ask yourself in your own philosophy is if people are naturally dishonest and dishonest to the point that you can't even trust your own wife without locking her into a covenant. What's the point of keeping it in the first place, right? What's the point of of demanding that she do this, does this with you when your body is obviously demanding that you do something different? Mm. Yeah. So we believe that God created it. That's right. <laughs> we believe that God created marriage to reflect the peace of His glory.
0: Right. You know, when people are in a marriage, um, and they're especially people that are doing premarital. <coughs> This is an important point because if you don't believe God created marriage, or you're not using the Bible as your as the your um, foundation for truth on what marriage is, then the question always is: Is what are you using? Hmm. You know, and many people that are going to get married have you know backgrounds of a lot of bad examples of marriage and so they come into maybe their marriage with a lot of fear and a lot of insecurity or what they do not want to see happen in their marriage their foundations for marriage could be really different from the bibles like mm-hmm. um you know what what they think a marriage should look like or what it should be like mm-hmm. when god's word might say something to the contrary mm-hmm. and it's such a it's such an important philosophical idea of like how do you define marriage? How, I mean, who do you, if God's not the creator of marriage and it's not to reflect a part of his glory and who he is, then who created it? And the answer must be, well, it must be some kind of social construct, mm. right? Some kind of, it, it developed within the evolutionary process of mankind, you know, where man really, it was a survival mechanism for them to get married, Um, which I'm not sure if that makes much sense, but, um, we have it today. So obviously it's become this, you know, or it's a social or religion just brought it in this idea of marriage and, um, this kind of thing. And that's what it's all about. And, but you, if you're getting married to someone and, their definition of marriage, if they say, oh, well, I, I believe it's just a social construct. I don't believe that God created marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I believe um, because it's a social construct, we can kind of define it however we want. Right. Right. The, the big problem with that is what?
1: Well, the big problem with that is that if everyone defined it the way that they wanted to and there is no concrete definition, then there is nothing wrong with uh, someone cheating on you or something like that. You can't, if my wife cheated on me, I can't say you ought not to do that. Right. Right. Because what I should say to her is, I don't think you should do that. Right. That makes me feel sad, but there's no way I could look at her and say, that's an objectively wrong thing that you're doing. That's not a correct thing to do. Um, she could just look back at me and say, well, I think it's a good thing. You know, like I, I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, I'm still dedicated to you. I still love you. Um, still want a relationship with you. Like what's wrong with me having sex with this other person. you know, I just don't understand what the deal with that is. So uh, when, when we put our own subjective views on something, it really only works out from a human standpoint, if both people's subjective views just so happen to match up, uh, which almost never happens. You know, like almost- Especially
0: throughout an entire life.
1: <laughs> especially throughout an entire <laughs> life. Cause you might think like, well, on the big things, me and my, me and my partner agree. And that's probably true. Maybe the person that you're with, you do have like moral values when it comes to the big things. But what about the small things? Um, one of the big thing, and let me just point this out real quick because this is a big thing that I know I go into in premarital. I know you do too, Bo, in the ones that I've sat in with you and when you did premarital with me. Is that Jesus, the first thing he quotes is he says, he made them at the beginning, he made them male and female. So what Jesus says is that, Within marriage, there's defined gender roles within marriage. And, hey, you might agree on the big things when it comes to the big moral questions of what should be allowed in marriage and what shouldn't. But do you agree with the gender views? Do you agree with your gender roles as the man and the woman? Women, do you agree with the fact that your man is going to lead? And do both of you agree on what his leading looks like? You know? And I can guarantee you that the truth is is that you don't. There's going to be areas where you think that his leading should look one way and he's going to think his leading is going to look another way. And if you don't have an objective standard to really say like, well, you ought to lead this way or you ought not to lead this way or you ought not to lead at all, then where are you coming from?
0: Yeah. Then it's just your own thoughts on it. (laughs) I, you know, I think you should lead this way, (coughs) right? That's right you know and then the the response could be well I'm glad you think that way <laughs> but but thank you <laughs> <laughs> I know <don't. laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go another route you know and yeah so it, it's like if you don't believe god created marriage then you know I always wondered why you get married anyway hmm. you know like what's what what is the point and you know what what is the basis that you have for even your marriage, um, you know, because um, views do change over time. Mm. And people easily can just go, hey, you know, I, I, I don't love you anymore. And my, Our marriage was really based off of my feelings for you that I, I call that love. Mm. And it's like this warm, fuzzy feeling that really this vibe mm. that's awesome. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's really cool. And it's kind of a sexual vibe and it's but it's more than that (laughs) and it's awesome you know what i mean that's how they describe it yeah and so now that i don't feel that anymore you know it's done yeah you know no more marriage yeah yeah okay
1: yeah yeah and i think lewis is just so great when he talks about that he's like if marriage really was built on love then what does a contract really add to it meaning if i if i'm my wife's husband just because of the way that i feel A contract isn't going to change the way I feel, right? The only reason to institute a contract is to say, I want something to be higher than my emotions that's holding this relationship together, right? That's the only way it's going to make it better. (laughs) The contract,
0: (laughs) basically what you're saying is that when you get married and you say vows to one another, it's admitting that you can't do those vows. <laughs> that's what it's doing. That's, that's what you're saying. That's
1: exactly what I'm saying. I'm so saying what you're that.
0: doing is you're making the vow because you're saying, I need help. Like, you know, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do in my life. But I need God's help in this.
1: And the people around and me. the people around. And the people that are at the wedding itself, you know right. listening to me making those vows and holding me accountable to them. So yeah, it is it is an admittance of spiritual and emotional failure. Right. Um, that emotionally, I ain't going to be able, able to hold true to these. And spiritually, I'm not going to be able to hold true to these if I don't have help. If yeah. there's not something working in me uh, to bring about change uh, away from my selfishness. And that, I mean, what you just brought up, uh, I think is so cool because we live in this culture and it's it's really interesting because you, you actually said two things so far that have really established this. Uh, Which I I would love to talk about Um, The first thing that you said is that if you don't get your views of marriage from the Bible Where are you getting them from and here's the truth? This is the truth for people whether you're Christian or not your views of how the world should work Come far more from movie and culture and friends and family than they do from the Bible That's just a fact, right? It's a fact for me. It's a fact for my wife It's a fact for everybody in the church That our views of marriage, our views of how things ought to work come more from family, society, movie and television than they do from the word of God. And one of the primary ways that I see this play out in the church right now is I hear this consistent viewpoint from people. And it's not like an isolated thing where I've only heard it from a couple people. I hear it all the time and I'm sure you hear it as well, Bo. It's the concept of the one am I sure that this person is the one for me, right? Yeah. You know, have you heard people talk about that with you?
0: Absolutely, yeah. man. That's, that's what it's all about.
1: Now, everybody's that,
0: seeking it out.
1: Is that in the Bible? No. <laughs> it's not in the Bible, you know? It's not in the Bible. There's no section of the Bible, right? Jesus, at this point, he could have said like, hey, in the beginning, you know, God created male and female, you know, and therefore, if you're with the one, don't let man separate her, right. you know, because if you're with the one that God has for you, you know, don't don't let God say he could have said that, but he didn't. You know, I, I think it is cool in Eden how God only created one man and one woman. So for Adam, he could have been like, she's the one because <laughs> yeah, she's she was she's be literally <laughs> the only <laughs> person on the planet. Right. I think that's a cool concept. But logically, when you come into the Bible, you have cultures that are based on betrothals, meaning. Families are responsible for the union uh, between these two people uh, or culture or whatever. You know, very rarely did someone choose their own spouse. And at no point does God uh, kind of poo-poo that. At no point does he say like, no, like, don't you know that I have a one for you out there? You know, and you should wait for this one to come into your life before you make any sort of commitment. You know, when people's marriages are going south, God never says like, oh, well, that's because she's not the one, you know, don't you know that there's there's going to be an emotionalism that's going to happen when you meet this one person that I have for you. And it's going to it's going to transcend everything that you ever thought about.
0: Yeah. And usually when, when you're talking about like people that they're waiting for the one, you know, what they usually mean is someone who's going to fulfill everything in their life. Yeah. It's going to make everything better. Yeah. And all the things that are poopy in their life are just going to smell great.
1: Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> everything that's wrong with their hearts, everything. And, and this, is the, this is the really cool thing that me and Bo always touch on in marriage. One of our favorite verses that we bring up all the time, Colossians 2 verse 10, you are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. What people are looking for, when they come into marriage is they're looking for a wholeness. They're looking for completeness. And what we tell them is if you haven't found it yet in Christ, you're not going to find it with another person.
0: Yeah. And so, and so in premarital, you know, sometimes we would suggest people maybe, um, you know, not date so much. Maybe they would separate, maybe just talk on the phone just to be able to seek the Lord. Hmm. And we would ask them just to take some time. And really, is God their numero uno? Mm. You know, we might, you know, take them to uh, Psalm 73, 25 and 26. um, That talks about, um, you know, our heart and flesh failing, but God is the strength in my portion forever. Mm. Um, And is God really the strength in our portion forever? Mm. Um, You know, because if you don't have God in your life, then what is the strength in your portion forever Hmm. you know is it really the one (laughs) the one yeah and (laughs) if it is the one if that's the strength if you're if you're getting married and your spouse to be is your strength in your portion forever you are in for a rough go man you are in for such a letdown Hmm. because it's not going to take long before you realize that person's got feet made of clay Hmm. and they are fragile not only are they fragile individuals but they are filled with so much weakness and things that are yucky. Mm. And you will see it come out. And if that's your strength and portion forever, that's that's not it. Again, if, if God didn't create marriage, then you don't have that view that it's created by God. Mm. Um, so you are going into marriage just that it's just your own creation. It's just a social creation. Mm. And that person is the one. Yeah that person's the one which why are you in why can it be why can't four people be the one Why can <laughs> 10 <laughs> the people the ones yeah the ones <laughs> that's right the ones for me yeah but uh but yeah a lot of people even in Christ Christianity or a lot of you know college students are always looking for the one and we have to we have to tell them yo you know are you really complete in Christ and and what does that look like to be complete in Christ what we're talking about is that you are emotionally stable, secure. You find your joy. You find your reason for living. Um, you find your purpose mm. in life, not not in any other person, but in Christ alone. Mm. And that means you have to know Christ. You have to develop a walk with Christ. Mm. Yeah, you, uh, you have to trust Him. You have to believe His character that he's faithful. That's right. Um, And, um, you know, sometimes it's like, sometimes I think the best marriages are marriages where you can look at someone and just the, the person you're going to marry and and simply say, Hey, I don't, I don't need you. Hmm. And if you could say that before you get married, you're probably better off Hmm. because you're now leaning
1: on God. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, the things that God created, you know, for Adam and for Eve, as beautiful as they were, um, the reason why they were able to function the way they did is because they were able to enjoy them for the thing itself and not because it completed them. And and what I mean is that like, if I look to my wife as my salvation, as my everything, as my Lord and my savior and everything in between, then first of all, she can never meet those roles she has not died for my sin she has not risen again she's not perfect she's not complete she cannot heal me she doesn't know where i'm coming from and she will never fully understand me uh the way that god does that is a weight that she can never ever um live up to not ever that's the first error Uh, the second error is that if i need my wife i don't really love her i love what she does for me that's right It's selfish it's very selfish Right? Love can only come from the completed soul. right? If you need somebody, then you don't love them. Right? Because that just means that when you cease to need them, you're going to move on. You know, when, you, when that person ceases to fulfill whatever's, uh, whatever they're fulfilling in your life, then you're going to move on to something else. And that's why Jesus focuses on the importance of the integrity of marriage. That it's about, it's about a vow. It's about making commitment before God. That's what's really important. Yeah. Um it's not about what marriage does for you. Yeah,
0: it and that's important. Marriage because we believe it's created by God. We believe that God is the central reason to get married. And our commitment is to God. Hmm. To do something. It's almost like saying to God, "Hey God, I want to show you or I want to I want you to help me to be with this person for the rest of my life. Mm. And that's what my commitment is, is that I'm going to serve you in ministering to this person. So this person is my ministry, meaning this is the person that um, I want to show Christ. I want to show the love of Christ to. I want to uh, show them the grace, the love of God, the judgment of God, everything. Um, I want to show that to this person for the rest of my life. This is going to be my focus. For the rest of my life is to serve this person as you have served me. Yeah. That's that's what I'm doing. It's, but it's I love I love how you put that because it's always before God. Mm. You know it's it's and and that's that's different because the focus is God. Mm. The focus isn't the other person. Mm. And I remember getting up on that altar to get married, and it was so cool because I remember my focus, man. I mean, my wife looked awesome, and I was so excited, you know, to be with her. But, man, was my focus on the Lord. I was just, like, riveted on, you know, thank you, God, and, you know, help me to be the right person, Mm. you know, Um, you know, to be committed in this Mm. and to, uh, um, you know, to glorify you in it.
1: Yeah, and and lest anyone who's listening to this, you know, say, like, well, that, that doesn't sound very fun. You know, it doesn't sound very fun that I'm not supposed to get into marriage for like fun and passion and all these things. Uh, By the way, me and Bo have awesome marriages and we have a lot of fun Uh and we have a ton of passion in them. Mm -hmm. But my argument is that the source of our fun and passion comes from our relationship with God more than our wives. That's why our relationships are so fulfilling. If it ever became about that person, we would become bummed. And this is what I mean by that. You are, you and I are tailor-made, all of us are tailor-made to have a loving relationship with God. That's what we're made to have. And if that's not first and foremost, everything else we're doing in this life is trying to fill a hole that only God was created, that created us to fill, you know? And um, just to, I I had a beautiful illustration of this yesterday. I met with a a good friend of mine (coughs) who's in the Marine Corps right now, and he's, uh He's looking for love, and it, we had a great conversation. It was really beautiful. It was really awesome. Uh, but he was telling me about these apps that I had, no, I had not even heard of. I'm not exactly the most technologically advanced dude, as those who know me know. Very true. Um, but I, I didn't even know about these. I know that Levi Lesko's released a new book called Slide Right or something like that. <laughs> and I had no idea what that even meant. I was like, what the heck is that even about? Um, cause even though Levi Lesko is much older than me, he's much more hip than I ever will be, you know? So, but anyway, like I had no idea what the heck that book I was didn't, even not I,
0: I, don't, I don't even know what it means,
1: man. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you, man, like it's going to blow you away. There's these, there's these apps. And I guess what happens is they, what they do is they have hundreds, thousands of people. It's almost like those match.coms, but it's on your phone and you just scroll through pictures and profiles and if you like one you slide right you know you slide right and that like that puts you in contact with this person and then you can start like texting them and contacting them
0: oh that's cool and, that's easy
1: yeah it's really easy and on these sites you could just slide and slide and slide and you see one you like and you sli- swipe right and you just text them and then you can keep going back and you can search and you can and you can be in <laughs> conversations with 20 dozens people, of 20 people, 30 <laughs> people. And I was talking to her about this and he is he is trying to date one girl, but he's com- conversing with dozens of other girls on this site. And I'm like, "Don't you see what you're doing?" He's like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "You're trying to date this person, but you already have a just in case it doesn't work out." Right. I have these other girls. And in case that one doesn't work out, I got this girl. Other investments. You have other investments going on. That's
0: right. It's like like a portfolio. That's right. (laughs) It becomes a commodity.
1: That's right. And one of my favorite verses that I think describes the human heart just perfectly is Proverbs 24, verse 18, I believe it is, where it says, The pits of hell are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. And what the Bible is saying there is that if you try to find your fulfillment in another person, you'll never find it. And so what's happened to our culture is it's not that we don't care about marriage and that's why no one's getting married. It's that we care so infinitely much about marriage that nobody's getting married. Because what's happened to us is we become so obsessed with this idea of the one and what it's supposed to feel like and what a relationship with the one is supposed to be like that nobody ever meets our standards for what we're looking for. So we just keep sliding right. We just keep going on to the next person to try to find it. And... If you think that like oh well marriage will solve that, our culture has one of the highest amounts of divorce rates that any culture has ever seen in humanity, and the reason why is because if you're married to someone and it doesn't work out, you could still it's like, right. You could still just be like well there's someone else out there. And for think me. Uh,
0: think of the logic this way too. It seems so illogical. Meaning meaning I'm gonna my marriage is gonna be dependent on my own ability to rightfully. Um, find fulfillment from another person. Hmm. Like how, how like what makes you think that you know how to be fulfilled anyway? <laughs> like what makes you think that you actually can navigate and how and you can pick and choose what's going to really what you really need in life. Hmm. You know, to really fulfill you. Yeah. Like, you know, you know that alone is very conceited. That you really think you got it together, where you can, you can. Oh, this person's the right one. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know. <laughs> I just know it is because I know it is. Yeah. And it's, it's like,
1: it's like, it's like demonstrably wrong. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's not. A, it's not like right. a. It might be wrong. It's, it's scientifically demonstra- wrong. It is scientifically wrong. <laughs> and let me just do this thought experiment with me. Ten years ago, right? Ten years ago, I was seventeen. I was convinced that my 13-year-old self was an absolute idiot and didn't know anything about the world. And I'm sure that most of you guys, when you were 18 or whatever, how old you are right now, when you were 18, you were convinced that your 13-year-old self was an idiot, right? Right. That had no idea what was good for them, picked wrong people, picked wrong jobs, picked wrong decisions, right? Guess what? Now I'm 27 and I'm convinced that my 18-year-old self was an absolute idiot that knew nothing about the world. And I am absolutely convinced at this point in my life that if you give me 10 more years, I will be convinced that my 27-year-old self, the one talking to you right now, <laughs> is an absolute idiot that has, nothing, that has no knowledge of what's good for me. Right. Everybody is like this. No matter what age you are right now, you're an idiot, but you just need 10 more years to realize it. You know, it might slow down a little bit when you get into your older age, but at, at some point, you're going to look back and be like, yeah, I really didn't know it was good for me. All right. God knows this about us. So only an absolute fool would be convinced that they know what's best for them, right? I know what's best for me. I know what's going to be good for me 50 years down the road, which is what marriage is supposed to be till death do us part, right? Only an idiot would believe I know what's best for me for the rest of my life. I'm sticking to this for the rest of my life, right? But if we're really honest, we would say, yeah, you're, you're right. I don't, I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's best for me. I don't know what's good for me. And that's why the Bible says you should be focusing on serving, not being served. Right? If you focus on serving, that is what's best for you. It yeah. is better to give than to receive.
0: And that's why some like, you know, some, that's why like marriages, you know, before the enlightenment, you know, 150 years ago, really the enlightenment meaning, meaning um, this idea that um, gender roles Uh, especially women's roles the enlightenment for women started they started becoming seen as different and um, uh, you know um, not so um, um, you know just the way we viewed women and the way women viewed themselves were 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 changing in society people would get married like you say through families what we would call arranged marriages. So the enlightenment brought about the idea of a woman having a right. It it seems like that's why some of those marriages or a lot of those marriages function fine is because Mm -hmm. they in a sense had a higher purpose for the marriage. The marriage wasn't just about finding the one because there was no finding the one. It was about, you know, this is what is good for, families Mm. and so they develop love within their marriages Um, they could Mm. Um, and they can develop good wonderful marriages Mm. Um, because it was built on a commitment level and and a lot of marriages are very good with that idea that they're serving a greater purpose yeah Um,
1: they're actually much more happy yeah, than than,
0: than than a lot of us we that are trying to look for the one.
1: They're trying to look for the one, and I think the the best verse in the Bible. If you want a dude who understood this better than anyone else, it would be Solomon. You know, this is a guy who had quite the dating record, if you want to call it that. You know, he had he had three hundred wives, seven hundred concubines. You know, he had been around he'd been around the block, and at the end of his life, it's very interesting because. He wrote the Song of Solomon towards maybe a lot of people think when he was younger. Uh, Either the Song of Solomon was about a woman that he actually knew or is a fantasy of how he wished his life went. We're not really sure. But what's clear in that book is that he's happy. He is happy with one woman. But when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 28, um, he says this. Which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found to be a companion. But a woman among all of these I have not found. Hmm. So Solomon says, dude, I got a thousand wives and I kind of can't stand any of them. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of can't stand any of them. And you're like, how could that be? You know, how could you get to the end of your life? How could you be happy with one person, but you can't be happy with a thousand? What's going on? And what Solomon's recognizing here in the book of Proverbs and everything else is that the solution to our emptiness cannot be more of emptiness, right? The solution to my internal emptiness cannot be me satisfying myself in relationships with people because it will only add to my emptiness and my loneliness. But when you get to the end of the book, he says, this is what I've determined, right? Serve God and love him. Yeah. And what he means, what he's figured out in all of this, what he's figured out in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, his whole life, what he's taken away from all of it, is if you find completeness in God, if you find completeness of God, you can find unbelievable amounts of joy in his benefits. But if you don't have completeness of God, all you're going to find is more emptiness.
0: Yeah, and the idea that a, a Christian would lack joy because we're doing it for a, a commitment, marriage for a commitment with God, mm. um, and not for finding the one, yeah. you know, it's not what you know, the second, the focus on our spouses is secondary. He doesn't understand God, meaning God is a pleasurable God. He, so seeking God and seeking to be filled with God is seeking the best pleasure, the most pleasure. Mm. Um, and therefore, you would be, if you were seeking, if you weren't seeking God first, um, the creator of all first, then you would be seeking something secondary. Uh, something imperfect. Mm. Uh, so the pleasure that your spouse can give you is a pleasure, but it's not a complete pleasure.
1: Absolutely. You know? Even going off of what Bo said, let's, let's just remove God for one second and ask the question of, is having integrity in marriage better for marriage? Right? Is it better for marriage as a whole? And what Bo was just talking about is he was talking about societies that valued the culture and the family over the individual And so because of that, people are getting married out of um, a duty, a responsibility to the family. And so because of that, they're committed into a marriage.
0: Yeah, so it's an arranged marriage. So
1: it's an arranged marriage. And what we found culturally is that those marriages where people are just committed because they're committed tend to be far better than the marriages that exist in America. And the question is, well, why? Well, here's why. True, genuine intimacy that is cultivated in marriage is only possible when there's true, genuine vulnerability. When you get to the Garden of Eden, when God creates man and woman, he creates them naked. And it says they were naked and felt no shame. Yeah. And what that means is that they had absolute vulnerability coupled with absolute acceptance simultaneously. And that's what all of us really want in a relationship. We want someone that we could be vulnerable with and still find acceptance with them. That's love. That's what we want. But here's the thing. You will never, ever, ever be able to be genuinely vulnerable with another human being when you're always afraid they might leave you at any point. And you will also never be able to demand someone to be vulnerable with you if you want to leave them at any point. What that means is that the reason why these apps are so successful is because what those apps enable people to do is they enable people to present the self that they would like to be to their potential suitor. right? So they're, To put it another way, it's an act right? When you go on a first date with someone, it's an act. Everyone knows this. You go on a first date with somebody and you put on an act. You present the best self that you can to this person, but it's not reality, right? It's not who you really are. It's not... The depths of your depravity and your wickedness and the mistakes of your plat- past and your faults and your flaws and what's going on in your life and the mess and the turmoil that you're in. right? And nor
0: should a first date be all that. And it shouldn't <laughs> be. That would
1: be a weird first date. Yeah. But the point is, is that intimacy over time, as you begin to date and to get to know someone, over time, as you begin to trust that person, you begin to feel the ability to become more vulnerable with them. And that's what a marriage needs. If you don't have integrity woven into a relationship, you cannot have vulnerability without, without the fear of somebody really hurting you when they leave you, right? Because the more vulnerable you leave yourself to someone, the more ability they have to really devastate you emotionally. That's right. And most of us don't want to become vulnerable anymore because we have been violated in the past. Somebody has taken advantage of our vulnerability and they've left. And what the Bible is saying to us, to all of us, is that the solution to our problem is not more distance and barriers. The solution to our problem is what Psalm 73 verse 25 says. Whom have I in heaven but you and upon the earth? There is none that I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail me, but get this, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Notice the two parts of that. He says, you're the strength of my heart. What's he saying? God protects my heart. Right? I don't protect my heart. I'm not the one who's like, I'm not going to get hurt, so I'm going I'm to put up my walls, and I'm going to pick whoever I want, and I'm going to find a relationship where I feel safe, and then, then I'm going to start doing things. He says, I trust fully in the love of God to protect and guard my heart. Therefore, I have the freedom to be vulnerable with my wife. And yes, she might leave me. And her integrity that she's demonstrated to me throughout our relationship gives me confidence, yes. But I know the truth. I know the truth that there are no guarantees in this life that she could cheat on me or she could die or something could happen in our marriage that would be catastrophic. But what gives me the ability to still be open and vulnerable with her and love her anyway? God being the strength of my heart. And secondly, he's my portion forever. I'm not looking to my wife to become completed because I'm already completed in God who is my true treasure. Mm. Right? That's, That's where we find our ability to love. And that's how we are able to do it. For those cultures that did it for arranged marriage, they did it for the transcendent ability to serve family. We have a far higher ability as Christians. And therefore, the bounds of our marriage and the sanctity of our marriage and the integrity of our marriage has the potential to be far greater than anything from these other cultures. Right. But only if you understand it, right? Looking for the one is not an understanding of these principles.
0: Yeah, so good stuff. We'll end the podcast there. It was a great first start. We just got into the beginning of God creating marriage and what the implications of that are all about and really being complete in God, um, that we can be full in Him and uh, experience a better joy, a better pleasure. Uh, Than the alternatives of finding the one. The one. The one that's out there. So, hey man, thanks for listening. Uh, Check us out at runninglight.org. You can always email us at peter at runninglight.org or bo at runninglight.org. And thanks a lot for listening. We'll talk to you guys later.
1: Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video
0: series Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36, 8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.